Hello everyone. I so wish I could be with you all. My family feels the same way. We hate missing church with you. Um, it came on a Saturday and um, so far seven out of nine of us have been sick. My worst day was Wednesday. Um, I've got my strength back. I'm filming this on Friday morning and um, but my voice is I'm having a hard time with it but I'm filming today because I feel good and I got energy and I might not feel that way tomorrow. So Anyway, uh, do pray for us, but also please know it's been nothing severe, um, and we're so thankful for that. It's a lot better than what we went through uh, last year in August uh, when we got COVID the first time. Um, so that's one thing. And thing number two, before I begin to preach, is it is so much better to preach when I'm looking straight at you, when I can look into your eyes when I can see your faces and um, I, I just I prefer that so much and I know that you do too so uh, the plan is for me to be back next week um, but you know that is in God's hands so I know you've already read the passage I know you've already prayed I know that you have already uh, discussed the passage and so there's no more reason to delay let's just jump right in. Acts 11 verse 27. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. What are these days that we are talking about? We're talking about this period of time when Saul and Barnabas were ministering at the church in Antioch, approximately 300 miles north of Jerusalem, a brand new Gentile church that sprung up through the witness of faithful believers who came from down south who were fleeing persecution people in Antioch hear the word they believe in Jesus and then they begin to gather and they form a church you all church planning is so simple that is the bare bones essence of it right there and so there's this relationship between the church in Antioch and the church down south in Jerusalem and in those days when Paul and Barnabas were there serving, when the grace of God was so great upon them as Joe preached on two weeks ago, prophets went to Antioch from Jerusalem. Prophets. What is a prophet? Well, we have loads of prophets in the Old Testament. We've got um, 17 prophetical books from Isaiah, Hosea, Malachi, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all those books. And we also have uh, prophets in the Old Testament like Elisha and Elijah and Nathan who uh, spoke to David, bringing the word of the Lord to him uh, on numerous occasions. But we also see prophets in the New Testament. And we don't see as much in the New Testament about prophets as we do in the Old Testament, but it is a still a regular part of their life. The first thing, the most basic, most important thing that we see in the New Testament about prophets is that the people, this is in Matthew 21, 46, the people believed that Jesus was a prophet and he brought the message of God to the people in an authoritative way. He was not just a mere teacher. That's one of the first things that we see, one of the most important things that we see. What I want to do uh, for this really this first half of the sermon is to examine the New Testament's teaching on prophecy and look at what it meant for them in that day in Acts chapter 11 and try to make some application for us here in our day. 
So Jesus was a prophet who spoke in an authoritative way. Well, then he dies, he rises again, and then he ascends up to heaven and he sends his spirit. And when he sends his spirit, a new era of prophetic ministry begins in history. Joel had prophesied of this area, of this era in Joel chapter 2 back in the Old Testament. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter uh, quotes Joel and he says this, And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Peter's saying a day is here when it's not just going to be some people prophesying, but it's going to be many, many more. The Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all flesh. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to prophesy. But, it does, but Peter does say that your sons and daughters, your male servants and female servants, all alike, will be a prophetic people. So when we move on in the book of Acts, we see that there were prophets present in the church. Acts chapter 13, 1 now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, and it goes on to name uh, five of them. We're going to look at that passage in greater detail in uh, a couple of months. We get to Acts chapter 15, 32, and it says Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. You all, they had prophets in their church, and they knew who they were. That's not present here and I would like it to be I believe that God wants it to be so here let's go on and look at a few other examples of prophets in the church Acts chapter 21 verse 8 on the next day we departed this is Paul and Luke and some others we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist uh, he was a big part of Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 8 he was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So we move on. 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy is like his apprentice. He's a young pastor doing similar or the same work as Paul's doing. And Paul says to Timothy, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Here Paul is saying that Timothy, there was a point in the past where someone made a prophecy specifically about you. And he's saying, now in this season, you, Timothy, by those prophecies, will go forward fighting the war that God is leading you to fight and, and holding faith in a good conscience as God is leading to. So it's by prophetic words in the past that we are able to go forward and do the things that God wants us to do today. Another verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit. 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. So do not hate or despise prophetic words. Do not quench God's spirit if he wants to bring a prophetic word to the church. But prophetic words are to be tested. For in verse 21, Paul says, test everything. Hold fast what is good. Some prophecies will prove to be not good. It was the same way as in the Old Testament. I'll speak to this more in just a bit. We can learn more about prophecy from looking at Romans 12 and also 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. In these chapters, Paul teaches that God has appointed some of his children to be prophets. And this is a spiritual gift that some people have. But not all people have it. And that's okay. The other people who aren't prophets have other gifts. And I believe that all people have multiple gifts. In addition to this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes that Christ has given prophets to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the church. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul also teaches that spiritual gifts are given to individual members for the common good of everyone in the church. Now, I told you a moment ago that prophecy is not a gift for everybody, but I am convinced that there are prophets among us that have things from God to say, but they aren't doing it. You all, it's time to rise up. God wants to use some of you, but you're timid. Or maybe you're just immature in the faith and you need to grow in it to, to see how to walk in this gift and to learn how to hear the voice of God. Church, let us rise up and regardless of whatever spiritual gift you have, whether it be prophecy or something else, grab hold of that gift, sink your roots deep down into Christ so that the church can be built up and so that the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ can be established in the earth. Today, it is time to rise up. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, If you have incredible prophetic ability, but you don't have love, then you're not doing any good. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Y'all, that's a command. Pursue the gifts. He doesn't say pursue the giver and don't pursue the gifts. And, and it's a given. It's an obvious thing that we should always pursue the giver more than the gifts. Some people don't want us to pursue the gifts because they're afraid we're going to neglect the giver. Well, that, that is a temptation, but aren't there temptations with every good thing? Okay, we pursue the giver, but we listen to the giver and we obey the giver, and we earnestly desire the gifts, especially that we may prophesy, that we may speak the message and the words of the Lord to all the people who need to hear it. So, um, we need to do this so badly. So moving on, in 1 Corinthians 14.3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So how do we define prophecy? I meant to say this earlier and neglected to. 
But prophecy in the New Testament is very broad. In its most basic sense, it has to do with delivering the thoughts of God to others. And obviously, if you're delivering the thoughts of God, you're delivering His message, you're delivering the words of God, and you're doing that to others. You're doing it to God's people. You're doing it to the, for those who are not God's people. You're doing it to all. Now, I want to mention Agabus. We get to verse 28 of our passage in Acts 11 today. And Luke writes, One of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So Agabus stands up. There's going to be a famine. Luke writes this many years later, and he says this prophecy was fulfilled in the days of the emperor of Claudius. <clears throat> There's other um, historical accounts of this prophecy being fulfilled outside of the Bible. But here, Agabus is named, and he foretells the future. And out of so much prophecy that's mentioned in the New Testament, this is the first time where the future is told. And we also have a prophet who is named. He shows up one other time in the book of Acts in chapter 21, verse 10. Luke writes, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus prophesied of a uh, famine, and now here he's telling Paul that you are going to be captured and arrested, which is exactly what happens shortly thereafter. You all, it's important to note that in the New Testament, it is likely that the majority of prophecy is not exclusively foretelling the future, but foretelling the, part, foretelling the future is part of the gift of prophecy. And it does happen when the Lord pleases to let us in on what He is about to bring about in the world for us and for others. So, foretelling the future, I believe, is a small part of prophecy, but prophecy is much broader than that in the Bible. I say this because there's loads of similarities between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. It is the nature of Old Testament prophecy, and we can say this because we have more examples of it. It is the nature of Old Testament prophecy that some of it, a portion of it, tells the future, but a lot of it does not. A lot of the, the uh, prophecy of the Old Testament is delivering the thoughts of God towards the people in that moment. Many of those message, prophetic messages are just God's people, or to God's people, it's just God saying, hey, y'all need to repent. It's a huge part of prophecy. And I believe that's a part of our calling today to be a prophetic people as the church is to command repentance. But in this passage that we're looking at today, Acts 11, Agabus tells the future. What may be the reason that God gave Agabus this word for the Antioch church? You all, I believe that it's because sometimes God in His grace tells us what is ahead so that we can prepare for it. God told the Christians in Antioch what is ahead, 
And you all know what? They prepared for it. It is what they did. We're going to see that in their generosity in these last two or three verses in just a moment. But first, a warning. Okay, And there's a number of warnings that I could give. Time does not permit me to offer them all. But I want to say this one. You all, in our world today, there is a prophetic industry that makes me sick. There is a prophetic industry that makes me sick. Just like certain televangelists do all this stuff supposedly in the name of Jesus to... to you know, and they're just growing their following. They, they're full of selfish ambition. And sometimes it's hard to know exactly who, who is like this and who's not. But there are certainly some that are very, very clear. People who are all about themselves and building their own empire and kingdom instead of that of Christ. You know, there, there's TV preachers out like that. Well, there's a group of people that claim to be prophets that are like this also. They want to make a name for themselves. It saddened me greatly in 2020 when so many prophets were claiming that Trump was going to be the next, he was going to win re-election. And you all, it's just one example out of so many in our world today and the Bible where prophets are just telling people what it is that they want to hear. Okay? I, I, forgive me for bringing up the politics of, of, of you know, our present day, but it's just the most recent example that I've seen that's upsetting to me. I believe that there are a lot of folks that just say things. Some of them are well-meaning and well-intended, but if it's not truly from God, then we got to keep our mouth shut. And by all means, don't create an industry around a gift or a ministry to fill your own pocketbooks. Don't ever do that. And you know, speaking to that prophetic industry, read Deuteronomy 18 and Jeremiah 28. And you'll just know that things never go well for false prophets. They usually die pretty soon. And it's sometimes in a very awful way. I'll just leave it at that. So for us today, how do we know if a prophet is from God? I want to recommend two questions that we can ask. First, is what the prophet says in accordance with the word of God and the sound doctrine found therein? If someone says something that contradicts this book, it's not from God. Secondly, if the prophet predicted the future, does it come to pass? Do the, and does the prophet have a track record of, of prophesying things that don't come true? So, that, that's, those are two things I offer to you as far as how to test this. Next, how do you know if God has given a word to your church? Well, I believe if the Spirit is there, then those who are listening to the Spirit will know. You all, it will be by God's Spirit. If God has given you a prophetic word for someone or for the church, it will be by His Spirit. And if you are regularly walking in loving obedience to Jesus and walking in the Spirit and you're full of His Holy Spirit, then you're going to know when God's about to say something. In our text today, it says that Agabus foretold by the Spirit. You all, I believe just as you know, Moses and the Israelites followed a pillar of fire by day and a pillar, I'm sorry, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They didn't mistake the presence of God. I believe just as the Holy Spirit did so many miracles in the early church, they knew it was by the hand of God. If you're accustomed to walking in God's Spirit and power, then you're going to know when He's upon you. And if you're here and, and this is all new to you, Keep coming to church. Read your Bibles. 
Ask us questions. Be like a sponge and soak up the things of God so that you can grow. So, how do you know if God has given you a word for the church? Well, if you know the presence and the working of His Spirit, then you'll be ready and you'll recognize it when He is giving you a message for the people. So, that's it for prophecy. Now part two, verses 29 and 30. How did the church in Antioch respond to this word? So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. Who are the disciples? It's just the members of the Antioch church. To send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. It says that they gave according to their ability. They weren't necessarily rich. Most of them weren't. But they did have something to give. I want to tell you that you always have something to give. And if you ever think that you don't, then I just want you to know that that's not true. It is not true. We always have something to give. And they gave according to to their ability. Now, it's basic and reasonable to assume that different people gave different amounts. You all, I think there's a lot of us that want to be able to give more than what we do. But there's two things that prevents us from doing it. The first is materialism. You all, we like stuff and we buy junk that we don't need. And sometimes we buy stuff that we need but we get stuff that's nicer or more expensive than we have to have. You don't have to get everything new. Y'all, we like new stuff. I like new stuff. Sometimes I get new stuff. Sometimes I don't. Y'all, not everything we have to buy needs to be new. And so there's this issue of materialism. We buy stuff we don't need, and we buy nicer things than we need. And the first problem um, in materialism is modern-day idolatry. So I'll leave it at that. But this first problem of materialism leads to a second problem, and that is debt. Some of us are paying for bad decisions that we did 10 years ago. Stop making those bad decisions. Stop spending money that you haven't made yet. Just stop it. And I tell you what, when you do that, it'll be so much easier to be generous. <clears throat> so, I want to show you from the scripture that generosity was a huge part of who the Christians were. Look at this with me. Acts 2, 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's awesome. Look at Acts 4, verse 32 to 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's the church. Those are the church members. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So there were no stingy people. Verse 33, With great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So verse 34, 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as anyone had need. I love this. There was not a needy person among them. Those who belonged to Jesus had all of their physical needs met through the generosity of fellow church members. You all, that is awesome. I want to point out, this is not government-run socialism. Some Christians, some people that name the name of Christ, they look at this and they say, look, there's socialism in the Bible. I say no. Socialism is when the government comes in and tells people who have resources that they have to give those resources to other people or the, it, it's forceful or they, the government takes those resources through overtaxation and we are definitely there today and it is evil. Okay, our, our nation is participating in a great sin by taxing its citizens way too much. And so, but socialism, governments will tax their citizens and then redistribute that wealth among others. And you all, that is institutionalized legal plunder or theft. And there is no place for that. The judgment of God comes down on nations when they participate in sins such as that. You all, biblical generosity. What we see here in these passages is voluntary. It's something that people do because they want to. And notice also that it was those who were owners of lands and houses, those that had much more than they need, they sold off what they didn't need to meet the needs of those who had a great lack. So I want to take a moment and look at 2 Corinthians 8 with you. Paul references the church in Macedonia, which we're going to learn a lot about later on in the book of Acts. But this passage challenges us. The Macedonian church um, uh, was in the midst of great poverty, but yet they were incredibly generous. 2 Corinthians 8.1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Look at that. They're going through hard times, but they have abundance of joy. Is your Christianity like that? And they had extreme poverty, but yet they were generous. In verse 3, it says... The same thing that we read in chapter, Acts chapter 11. They gave according to their means, as I can testify. Paul had first-hand knowledge of it. And they also gave beyond their means, of their own accord. You see, their generosity was voluntary. They didn't do it because the pastor made them do it or because the government took their money. They did it out of their own accord. It was voluntary. And they begged Paul and his co-workers earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God by us. If you're wondering why you're so stingy, it might be because you haven't given yourself to the Lord fully. I ask you, church, give yourself to God. We move forward to 2 Corinthians 8, 12. Paul goes on to instruct the church in Corinth that they are to give according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. 
In verse 13, he says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Okay, Paul isn't saying give away everything you have so that you don't have enough food to feed your own family. He's saying limit yourself and give some of what you have to others who have less. You all, God's calling us into extreme generosity. Y'all, we live in days of great and unnecessary inflation. Things are tight. We have felt it at my house. Y'all have felt it at your house. I want to tell you, don't fear. And don't hear this call to biblical radical generosity and be afraid or grow bitter. Look to Christ from whom all blessings flow. Tighten things up. Get a budget. Repent of materialism. Get out of debt. And you'll be able to do these things. Now some of you, you're hearing me, you've already tightened things up. You don't know what else to tighten up. That's the case for me at my house. I want you to trust God. He always takes care of his kids. He doesn't always provide everything you want, but he always provides your basic necessities. Heard one pastor say it. He doesn't always provide our greeds, but he does provide our needs. You don't have to know how God is going to do everything that you need him to do, but you do have to know and believe that he will do it. Some concluding thoughts on generosity. Repent of stinginess. Proverbs 28:22 says, "A stingy man hastens after wealth. He chases after it when he should be pursuing God. He hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Don't be a hoarder. I've heard it said, if you have a hand open, to the Lord that has all your stuff in it, then God can take out of it whatever He wants to, and He can also place what he, whatever He wants to in that hand. But if you keep that hand closed, and you, you, you're stingy, and God directs you in generosity, and you don't want to do it, and you keep that, clo- that hand closed and tight-fisted, then it makes it very difficult for God to put something in there. Not that He can't but that he's just going to withhold his blessing as he tells us in his word. So Proverbs 28, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. If you chase after money and being rich, then that's going to be the last thing that happens to you because our God is good and faithful. Psalm 41, verse 1, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Happy is the one who thinks about the poor. You guys, we got to think about the poor. Blessed is the one. Happy is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. God doesn't deliver you three days before you need to be delivered. He delivers you when you need to be delivered. Psalm 41, 2, the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You did not give him up to the will of his enemies. 
The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Proverbs 19.17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. He will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28.27 Whoever gives to the poor will not want. But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Don't hide your eyes from the poor. Don't hide your eyes from the poor. Again, this is all voluntary in nature. Be a cheerful giver, as Paul instructs the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians 9. And I want you to know that as God provides everything you need, He will provide everything you need for others too, to to give to others. Most of the time, God is providing all that you need and more because He wants to be a channel of blessing to those who don't have what they need. And so, it's a beautiful thing. My concluding passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. You all, we have the riches of the gospel because Jesus left the riches and the majesty and the beauty in heaven where He had been with God for where he, you know, where he had been with God since God created heaven, and he had been with God before God created heaven. He'd been with God for all eternity, and he left that to give. He was rich. We were poor, lost in our sin, and Jesus freely and voluntarily came. He became poor so that we could become rich and receive all that he has to give us, that he earned, that we did not earn. Let us be like our Savior. Let us rejoice in all that God would have us do. Let's pray. Oh God, may there be a prophetic anointing about your people here at Hope Fellowship. Oh God, would you send your spirit? Let us look to you and and for everything. And may generosity, oh God, just flow. May generosity flow. Stretch us, shape us, mold us, make us uncomfortable, sanctify us, O God. May we repent of our stinginess, our materialism, our idolatry, and our debt. May we no longer be a a slave to the lender, but may we be free, O God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.